Well, let's take and uh, open our Bible to the book of Daniel, chapter 1. And we're going to be looking at a, a broad section of the book of Daniel. We're going to be looking at basically the first six chapters here this morning. But I want to begin by reading of chapter 1. It says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God, and he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of the nobility, used without blemish of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of the food that the king ate and the wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time they were to stand before the king. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel he called Belteshazzar. Hananiah he called Shadrach. Mishael he called Meshach. And Azariah he called Abednego. But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who assigned your food and your drink. For why should he see that you were in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. Then Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, test your servants for ten days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for ten days. At the end of the ten days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than the youths who ate at the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of the time when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar, and the king spoke with them, and among all of them none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they stood before the king, and in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of Cyrus the king. Well, we're veering off a little bit once again of our study of 1 Corinthians to look at the book of Daniel. And the reason that we're doing that was kind of uh, prompted by some current events. The week before last, our school did something that I did not think that we would see happen. I think it's caught a number of people by surprise. And that our school went through some training for the teachers, staff, and faculty dealing with the issue of transgenderism. That is a shock. It doesn't shock me at the state level, and I know the state pushes the schools and those kinds of things. From what I've gained from understanding and talking to different people that were at the training, and I don't want to make it something that it wasn't, okay? So we're going to go slowly through this a little bit. It was obviously dealing with pronouns and the use and how you deal with a transgender student and what you should call them as 
far as their specific pronouns and their names and their identity and talking with some of the teachers and people that were at the meeting, a lot of them felt, the ones some of that I talked to anyway, felt that their rights were trampled on. It really gets way out there. They said that they were encouraged not to use words like mom and dad, aunt and uncle, even the word cousin for some reason. There were different things addressed in there dealing with privacy and and from what I understand in the context of that privacy, the privacy was talking about the parents being left out of the loop on what's going on at this school between the, the students and the faculty or the teachers. And in talking to the people that I've talked about, I don't believe that our school board is in favor of it. I haven't taken a poll or anything. I haven't talked to a huge number of people, but from what I understand of the response, I don't think the teachers and the people that had to go were real thrilled of it either. From what I understand, uh, there are some that did not go. There are some that went and left, and there are others that object to the idea, which makes sense. You're asking a teacher that teaches English to use a plural pronoun for a singular student. Uh, it goes against everything that they teach in the, in the language. It, also, you're asking teachers who teach science to ignore biology, and the fact that uh, every person on a planet comes down to either an XX chromosome or XY chromosome, which establishes whether or not we are male or female. And so there's a, a lot going on in there. Now, at the same time that I don't think, and I've always uh, loved this about our school and our community, is that it's not like you're living in Minneapolis. We do get to participate in things around here that some larger schools and larger areas uh, don't feel the freedom to participate in. And we have stayed away from a lot of things that a lot of those same kind of areas push. I don't believe that the information that was put forward in that meeting, I do not understand that out of that came any kind of rules that our teachers or staff or faculty have to follow in dealing with those things. I think it was more recommendation or maybe tips. Although I would say that from the sounds of it, it also does not come without pressure. From what I understand, disagreement or discussion was not welcome. And I do know of at least one individual that was suspended for a day and a half from their position because of their facial expressions within the meeting that they showed disapproval. But you know what? Uh, the fact of the matter is we've been able to see this coming within our nation, within our country, within our communities. We've been able to see this coming for some time. And for some time, the alarm has been sounded that, you know what, at some point you, you're going to have to stand up. I think within our, our country and within our communities, I think the majority of people are on, not on board with this kind of foolishness. I think the majority opinion is this. You go do what you want. Leave me out of it. Well, it has been sounded off over the last decade at least that they're not going to leave you out of it. You are going to have to at some point have to stand. Now, what's going to be the future of our school and what happens there has remained to be seen. But when you think of the amount of people that this impacts, it impacts all of us. Right here within our church, we have everything from we have teachers and we have secretaries and we have school board members and we have staff, we have cooks and we have paras and we have substitutes that work within the school, not to mention the fact that we have students and we have parents of students and we have grandparents of students. And so all of us in one way or another are affected. And even in dealing with uh, the issues of homeschooling, from what I understand of legislation that's trying to be put through our nation and stuff right now, you homeschool homeschoolers aren't going to be left alone either. There's some real threats that are going along with that as, as well. And so, you know what, the fact of the matter is, is there comes a time, and I believe that time is definitely here, where you have to stand. Now, what does that stand look like in any individual circumstance? I think can vary a little bit uh, here and there, but the fact of the matter is 
it is time to stand. And so we're looking at the book of Daniel today. The reason I'm looking at the book of Daniel is because Daniel is a person that found himself in just such a situation. Daniel is from the tribe of Judah. It's in the time when they were about to be carried off into captivity. They had forsaken God for quite a time and God had been patient with them. And he finally, he says, all right, you know what? You're going off into captivity. Israel, the northern ten tribes, had already been carried off into captivity up into Assyria. They should have learned the lesson from watching them and the path they went. They didn't. Now Judah, the southern two tribes, is going to be carried off into Babylon into captivity. And Daniel is some of the first to go. Because what happens is, at first they come in and they take over the city of Jerusalem. And they kind of take the cream of the crop, if you want to think of it that way. And they take them back with them. The reason is, they want to educate them. They want to take the, the young and the, and the bright and the promising. And they want to take them back to Chaldea. And they want to educate them in the ways of the Chaldeans and in their way of doing things, so that then they can use them in these different ways. And so among those, we find Daniel, Hananiah, Asherah, and Mishael, of the promising ones being brought and given this education. Daniel submits where he can underneath the the king. It's God that had Judah carry away captive into Babylon. And so Daniel is doing his best to bring honor and glory to God within the situation But you know what he finds very quickly is that in order to do that, in order to honor the God that he worships and serves and bring glory and honor to him by doing his best, he finds that he has to take a stand in some different places. In fact, as we look at the first six chapters of the book of Daniel, we find that there's three, probably four different definite stands that are taken by either Daniel or the other three as these things unfold. So as we consider this idea this morning, we're looking at standing up. Daniel, Hananiah, Asariah, and Mishael stood when they needed to stand in order to bring honor to God. Look, first of all, in the first instance, in Daniel chapter 1 and verse 8, it says, But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Remember, the, the Jewish people had rules given to them by God through Moses about what they were to eat and not eat. But Daniel said, you know what, to do that would defile myself. He said, I just, I just can't do that. It says, therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. So Daniel's in this new place and he's under authority. And Daniel takes a stand. He asks that he could not defile himself. But then it's going to go on from there. What's going to happen is there's going to come a time where the king's going to have a dream. And the king's going to go to his magicians and his enchanters and he's going to say, you guys need to tell me what my dream means. But here's the deal. Because, don't really trust you guys, uh, you got to tell me what the dream is. Then I'll trust that you actually have the interpretation of it. And they're like, what are you asking? Nobody can do this. And so he says, okay, off with their heads. Well, Daniel hears about this and he's actually in line to be one of the people killed over this as well. And Daniel asked him, he says, what in the world is going on here? And they told him. And so Daniel tells them, let me come before the king. I will give him the answer. And so the king's dream was about an image. Daniel said, king, uh, you have an image that the head is gold. And then as you progress downward, it's silver and then bronze and then iron and then iron mixed with clay at the feet. And then this rock comes and lands on the feet that are mixed in iron and clay and, and breaks those. And he says, you know what? It's about the future. Your empire is the iron of gold. But from there, we're going to be digressing down. Then the next one will be classified as silver, bronze, iron, and then iron mixed with clay. So getting weaker, weaker, weaker until finally it's destroyed. Now, the king praises Daniel. 
at that time and praises Daniel's God who gave him that information. But then what happens is the king gets thinking about the image and he becomes pretty arrogant. I am the head of gold. The next thing you see him doing is making an image. It's not the image that you see here with just the head of gold. He makes a golden image. So in other words, since the whole image is golden, this image just represents his reign. And he puts it out along the road where everybody would come across it regularly. And then they make this rule. Everybody's going to gather together for the dedication of this image. And when the music sounds, everybody's going to bow and worship it. And then you know what happens? The music sounds... And the other three, the three guys that are there, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, as they become Noah, they don't bow. They literally stand. They stay standing. Imagine how much you would, pun intended, I guess, stand out. Everybody drops to their knees and there's no hiding. You stand out like a sore thumb in that kind of a crowd. And so they take those three and they bring them to the king. And the king says, look, you have to have heard that when the music starts, you bow and worship that image of my empire he says, if you don't, you're going to be thrown in the fiery furnace. And they said, if this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. And so they definitely took a stand. But then we go on from there. And we find that as you get up to chapter 6, we find Daniel before another king. He's before King Darius. When Darius takes over as king, he restructures a little bit, kind of like just like when you get a new president in the White House, they appoint a new staff and all that kind of stuff. Well, Daniel again stands out above everybody. And so Daniel is made one of three. There are three people that are picked to give the the king solid counsel. And Daniel is uh, cherished above the other two. And so the others want to get rid of Daniel. But he's righteous. He's upright. And so they know the only way that we can get rid of Daniel is if we somehow tie it to his faith. We know he won't, he won't uh, ditch his faith. And so if we can get him in trouble for that, then we got him. And so they went in to Darius and said, you know what, we, we think that you're awesome, King Darius. And we think that you ought to be honored. And so we want to honor you. And we want to make a law that for such and such a time, Nobody can pray to or ask a petition of anybody else, any other God, except for you. And we think it ought to be set in stone, which is the law of the Medes and the Persians. If something was written down in the laws, as made a law of the Medes and the Persians under the Medo-Persian Empire, it was unchangeable. Even the king can't undo it. Well, the king was flattered, and in his flattery, he gave in to it. Well, in Daniel chapter 6, and verse 10, it says, When Daniel knew that the document had been signed. He went into his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. This time Daniel stands. He does it by kneeling, but he stands. They're trying to force Daniel to stop praying to your God. Stop doing these things. Stop worshiping any other God. And Daniel, knowing the document is signed, doesn't close his window, doesn't change the time of day that he prays, doesn't change anything. He takes a stand and he kneels at that window and he prays before God three times a day. So we see Daniel and all of them in the beginning taking a stand for how they would not defile themselves before God. We see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego willing to go even into the flames. And then Daniel 
ends up being thrown into the lion's den. And he knew that's what would be the price for this. But God shuts the mouths of the lions. So Daniel, in this new environment, under these new pressures, stands for God. Well, you know, we're not in a new place physically. We're in our old home. This is our country. This is where we've grown up and been taught the principles that our country was built upon. But in some ways, our home is becoming more and more like Babylon. In some ways, our old home is not our old home. And some of these changes are happening rapidly. Part of how rapidly they happen will depend on who stands and how they stand. That will help to shape those things. But whether or not they slow this change or stop this change, whether or not that happens, really is almost a secondary issue. Because the primary issue has to be us in and of our faith and in our desire to bring honor and glory to God. Will we stand for it? Will we take the heat? Will we pay the price? It's never fun to pay that price. But it's a price that sometimes needs to be paid. And when you talk about these things that are going on in our culture now, dealing with you know, using different pronouns for different people and stuff like that, that's a, that's a place we can't go. Like Daniel couldn't go there with his food. Like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego couldn't go there with bowing down to the, before the idol. Like Daniel couldn't go there and stop praying. This is a line in the sand. This is a place we can't go. Why does it? merit that. We're not going to get too deep into this because we've covered it semi-recently as we looked at our upside down world a while back. But when we look at Deuteronomy chapter 22 and verse 5, the Bible says, A woman shall not wear a man's garment, nor shall a man put on a woman's cloak. For whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord your God. And so in other words, a man is not to try to assume the identity of a woman and a woman is not to try to assume the identity of a man. You're made in the image of God and God made you the way He wants you to be. And for us to reject that, to reject our creation, is to reject the God that created us. Romans talks about um, when we go against nature, we're going against nature's God. And we're actually setting ourselves up in the place of God when we do that. In fact, even when you consider looking back at the book of Genesis and looking back at the creation, God gives us our identity. He doesn't ask us our identity. He gives it to us. We see that we were given the identity of being made in the image of God. And we're given the identity of being human, being mankind. And within that identity, we're given the identity of some are men and some are women. In fact, God kind of leads them through a process if you think about it. Because He creates Adam, tells him who he is, that he's made in the image of God. He uh, parades all the animals before Adam so that Adam will recognize, you know what, I'm not one of these. None of these fit. So I don't identify as an animal. I'm different from that. And then he brings Eve into the picture and identifies the two of them as male and female. So you see, what is what is involved? When you ask us, when somebody asks us to use a feminine pronoun for a male, they're asking us to become complicit in an ideology that is wicked. This idea of transgenderism. There is no such thing. There's, there's XX and there's XY. And so for us to say that, you know, God created us male and female. Science tells us it's XX and XY. Uh, but then to go and to try to manipulate the language to change things. You just can't do it. You can't do it biblically. You can't do it practically. You know, I watched a, a thing a couple of weeks ago. Um, 
Matt Walsh, he's a commentator, works uh, under Daily Wire. I watched him on a panel. They had a, a couple people that claimed to be transgender. They were actually on the Dr. Phil show. And they're discussing this issue about the pronouns. And Matt Walsh made this point. He says, he said, you can't have your own pronouns. They're not, they're not yours. He says, that's like saying you can have your own adjectives. He says, I want my own adjectives. He says, you know what my adjectives are? My adjectives are handsome and brilliant. He says, so that's how I want you to refer to me. I want you to always refer to me by those adjectives, handsome and brilliant. And then he goes on to point out the foolishness of that is because that might be how he wants to be seen, but if you force people to use those, you're kind of forcing them to see you that way. And we have freedoms. In changing a pronoun or changing an adjective, or you are forcing somebody to see you that way. And in doing so, you're forcing them to take a position that is against the Bible, against the Word of God. It's against reality itself. Now, you know, we get asked the question, it's usually phrased, you big meanie, why can't you just refer to that kid as a her or a zer or a zen or a they or a... If you know that it hurts their feelings, if you don't refer to them that way, why can't you just do it? Well, I don't believe that it's loving to enter their fantasy. It's not connected to reality. And to enter that fantasy is not loving. It's confusing. You're aiding their gender dysphoria. You're making them more and more confused. I remember listening to something a few months ago. It was this young girl talking about how gender is fluid. And she said, you know what? Sometimes I'm a boy. Sometimes I'm a girl. Sometimes I'm this. Sometimes it's that. Sometimes it has to do with romantic issues. Sometimes it has nothing to do with romantic issues. Sometimes it's... And she goes through all these different things. And, then, and I'm listening to this and I'm going, Why? Are we being schooled by an 8th grader? I think she was in 8th grade. I'm like, you know what? 8th graders go to school to learn. You get taught your pronouns. You get taught your biology. You get taught you're not the teacher. Why are we listening to all this foolishness? Facebook, I think, last I heard, has like 72 different gender identities that you can be listed as. Based on what? Based on subjective, emotional feelings. But when you get down to the objective realities which we've seen paraded around in our news before us these days, is that guy named, he calls himself Lila Thomas now, I think it is. He's a swimmer. And he swam in collegiate sports as a man, and now he's swimming in collegiate sports as a woman. Uh, although they've recently, NCAA has made a different judgment on that, or ruling on that. But when you look at this issue, as a male swimmer ranked in our nation, he was ranked number 462. As a female swimmer, he's number one. And he's breaking the records like he's late by like 30 seconds, 32 seconds or something like that. It's, it's astounding. There you're seeing the objective reality of what gender really is. And so why is this a hill to die on? And it is. This is one of those places where Christians have to stand because if you cave in and you start using other people's preferred pronouns, feminine names for masculine people or vice versa, you're becoming complicit. You're sharing the worldview. You're pushing forward the agenda. And it's an agenda that is completely against God and His creation. And it's a place where we've just got to stand. Well, as we look at this few chapters of Daniel, Daniel, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael give us good examples of what it means to stand. And that's what we're going to look at is we're going to look at three necessities for standing up biblically. The first thing that we find in taking a stand is we find we need courage. If you're going to stand 
you're going to have some, have some courage. You're going to have to have some backbone. You're going to have to be willing to take some heat. You got to stand up. We see it in Daniel. Daniel, they bring the food before him. He's like, I can't. This is a food off the king's table. In other words, he's trying to give them the best. Daniel says, you know what? That would defile me to eat the food from the king's table. Can't, I can't do it. And so he takes a stand uh, there. Uh, then we also see with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and we see their courage as they stand before Nebuchadnezzar and they say, even if we burn in the fire, we're not going to bow to that image. That took courage for them to stand up. Can you imagine if your life is on the line? If they're heating up the furnaces for throwing you in, what kind of courage that takes? You know, Daniel does the same thing. Daniel knows he's going to get thrown to the lions. Daniel knows that if he worships God, praying three times a day like he always has. And that takes courage to do that. You know what? It's never fun to stand up under pressure. At times you get a little bit jittery. You're not sure you're going to know what to say. But sometimes you need to say some things. Sometimes you need to stand up and walk out. There's different ways of standing, but sometimes you just got to do it. You've got to be true to your conscience. Never in the history of our nation has anybody been forced to say something. But that's what they're looking at doing now. It's very different. We're big on freedom of speech. But even within freedom of speech, it's very different to tell somebody not to say something than it is to tell them to say something. There are certain things you can't say. You're not allowed to yell fire in a crowded building. It puts other people at risk and at danger. You're not allowed to do that. Your freedom of speech doesn't extend to that. You know, if you're, if you're on certain venues, there's language you can't use and stuff like that. There's, you don't have freedom of speech unlimited everywhere. There's, there's, there's a little bit of governing. But you know what? Telling somebody they're not allowed to say something is very different than telling you you must say something. If they're telling you you must say something, then they're insisting that you take a stand, that you take a position that you don't agree with, that you believe something that you do not believe that you promote an ideology that you're against. That's very different. Well, there's legislation happening both in Canada and in the United States that is pushing toward it will be uh, considered a hate crime if you counsel somebody to go a different direction than having their gender changed or living a homosexual lifestyle. Is getting to the point where it is going to be illegal to have the opinion that homosexuality or transgenderism is wrong. Well, we can see very clearly that Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Meshach and Abednego were courageous. You know what else they were? They were courteous. We need to have courtesy when we're dealing with these things too. Back in chapter one, when Daniel first says, "You know what? I can't. I can't defile myself with the king's meat." Notice how he handles it. He just tells the guy that's in charge of them, "Give us a different diet for ten days, and see what happens." Then make your decision. Now, I don't think he's telling him, make your decision and we'll do whatever you want. Because as we've seen, Daniel has the courage to stand up and he's not going to defile himself. You know what? That was a courteous way to respond to that situation. Um, When we're called, when we're in a spot where we need to stand up for something, it doesn't mean that we need to belittle the people on the other side. It doesn't need to, we don't need to resort to name calling. We don't need to, to be malicious toward them or against them. We can still be respectful. In fact, you know, Daniel, when, when he gets out of the lion's den, the first, the king says, Oh, Daniel, are, did your God save you whom you worship? Because King Darius did not want to send him to the lion's den. And Daniel looks up at him and he says, Oh, king, live forever. 
How respectful can you be? They treated the other people with courtesy. We need to show people that we disagree with common courtesy when we're dealing with them and when we're dealing with these subjects at hand. You know, because the fact of the matter is they might be on the opposite side of these different issues. They're not our enemy. And the people that are going through this, they need the same courtesy as well. Can you imagine the confusion that somebody that's going through that and being encouraged along the way feels? There's got to be some real needs that aren't met, some real struggles within side of them as a person going through these things. We need to show courtesy to other people as we deal with these subjects. And then lastly, I also see confidence. Now, I don't mean a confidence in themselves. I just find it a pretty amazing a level of confidence, a level of faith, level of trust as they're trusting God as they go through these different issues. And when we address these kind of issues, we need to think things through and have our P's and Q's in order, but we also need to trust that you know God's going to give me what I need. God's going to give me the courage that I need to stand up. God's going to give me the words that I need to say the right thing. God's got this. So Daniel, he's confident enough to make the appointment. He contacts, he says, look, give me, a, give me an audience with the king. Let me go interpret his dream. I know I'll be able to do it. Then he goes to his three buddies and says, look, you guys, you need to be praying for me. Pray that God will have mercy and He'll give me the interpretation that we need to, to solve this problem. And then, uh, when he's in before the king, and he says to the king, but as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because of any wisdom that I have more than all the living, but in order that the interpretation may be made known to the king, that you may know the thoughts of your mind. His confidence isn't in himself, it's in God. You see, the point is, in each of these instances, whether it was Daniel or the three friends, they stepped up. They were able to step up because they had confidence that God had their back in this. Whether it's in helping them through the fire or going through the fire with them. You know, when, when they were in the fire, when Nebuchadnezzar walked back by the fire to see them, he says, didn't we throw three people in there? But there's four. I see four. And one of them is like a son of the gods. God was with them in the fire. Even if He wouldn't have brought them out of the fire, He would have been with them through the fire. And it's the same thing with us. When we take a stand, there's no personal guarantee that we're going to have some huge victory in that stand right there. But the fact that you're standing is a victory enough. And as you stand, Jesus Christ will be standing there right with you.